0: What does God do with a preacher when he's been out of the routine that he's basically been doing for the last 15, 16, 17 years uh, for five months, in fact, exactly 23 weeks this Sabbath? Well, in the case of myself, God has given me opportunity to reflect, to, to assess, to analyze, to, to pray, to be convicted, convicted about many things, things personally, things in my family, but also things related to my leadership. And as I've looked over the last five, nearly six years that I've been here at Spencerville, I cannot believe that it's been uh, that long that I have been here. I realized that, that, that what we've done has not necessarily adequately prepared us to be a people, to be a movement of the last days. I mean, that's what, what we exist as. Seventh-day Adventists are people who are looking towards the second coming of Christ. We are people who are to make ready a people for the second coming of Christ. This, this conviction that I've had has come from looking back, back over the last five plus years, back over the, the history of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, reading the writings of, of, of Ellen White and, and, and other pioneers, back to the Bible and the roots of the Christian church, the, the Christian movement. And looking back, I've been convicted about some things regarding our future. The conviction also comes through the reminder of what my mission is as a, as a pastor, as a, as a leader within this church, within this denomination, Luke chapter 1 and verse 17, the very last phrase in that verse, speaking of John the Baptist and talking about his mission, it states this, that John the Baptist was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Prepared for what? John was to prepare people for the first advent, the first coming Of Jesus Christ. And in the classic book, Desire of Ages, which is a book on the life of Jesus Christ, there is this statement. In preparing the way for Christ's first advent, he, speaking of John the Baptist, was a representative of those who are to prepare a people for our Lord's second coming. I remember in the very first weeks of the COVID-19 pandemic, those those weeks when we were saying probably in the summer we'll be back to some sort of normal and we'll get back to normal. I remember that Dr. Landless, our very own Dr. Landless, wrote an article for our weekly update. And, and in that article, I believe he referred to this, this time of separation, this time of, of the church being scattered as a, church, as a practice test for the church, a practice test for the church. For the church. For five months, that thought has has weighed heavy on my heart. A practice test for the church. Recognizing that, that the church scattered as we are in the state now is is more likely how the church will look in the last days, in the very last days, than than we did prior to COVID-19. And I've wondered some things. Are we theologically ready? For that scattering? Are we operationally ready? I, I don't know that we're organizationally ready. I worry very much. In fact, you'll find that this is one of the great convictions of this new sermon series, Back to the Future, that we are beginning right now. But I'm worried very much that we are not relationally ready for that last days of being a scattered church. And I question whether or not we are evangelistically ready. I don't put this on you. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not pointing my finger at you. John the Baptist was a representative of those who are, who are to prepare a people for our Lord's second coming. This is my calling. So I'm looking at it from, from, from what have I done to prepare us to be a a church, a movement, ready for the last days. And I want us to go back, and in several of our sermons we're going to go back to discover how best to move into the future, how best to move into the future. As I study the book of Acts, I'm struck by by a common thread of adaptation that runs through the early church, as they faced various challenges and various uh, problems. Let's begin in Acts chapter 1, and I'll be reading verse 8. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you will receive power. This is Jesus' last words to the disciples before He was taken up into heaven but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Those were Jesus' last words. They were his marching orders, we could say, uh, to the disciples, but not only to the disciples, but to the early church and really to the ongoing church. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And soon after that, the Holy Spirit did descend upon the disciples. The disciples went out and they began to preach. They began to witness. And and the Christian church was born. The Bible states that in those first few years after the birth of the church, that it was growing daily. In fact, the, the language of the Bible is, and the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. What a beautiful picture. But as the church got larger, they were faced with different challenges, different problems, different difficulties. One of the first problems that we discover is that they didn't know how to properly care for everyone that was in need of their care. In Acts chapter 6, And verse 4, the Bible tells us this. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Let me summarize that verse for you or or rephrase, frame the, uh, the picture of that verse. The church was getting big and the leaders, maybe we would say the pastors of the church, couldn't adequately treat everyone equally. They couldn't adequately care for everyone in the exact same manner. It was not due to prejudice or or choice, though Satan was trying to make it become perceived in that way, but it was because of sheer size. Because of the size, these these 12 men, these 12 individuals and some of the other disciples around them could not Adequately care for all the members of that church. And the disciples realized that if they if they tried to do so, if these 12 individuals and and some others tried to do so, that, that something else would suffer. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It is not right that we should give up the word of God to serve tables. They realized that if if we try to to serve everybody and just care for everyone in the way that they deserve to be served, then then there's going to be a loss. They're going to lose the the witnessing and the preaching aspect. So they came up with a plan. They said this, therefore, brothers, this is Acts chapter 6 still. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said, the Bible tells us, pleased the whole gathering. And this is where we have the establishment of the deaconate, the deacons. These first seven were, were the deacons. The role of the deacons in the Adventist denomination has, has morphed into caring for the church, small c, a building, but the original purpose of the deacons was to care for the church, large c, the body of Christ, the people. Over these last five months, plus it has become very apparent to me that, that, that our pastoral team, the five of us, now four with Pastor Andrea leaving, cannot properly care for our church family. We have to figure out a, a new system, just like the disciples did. They, they faced a challenge and they, they didn't say, okay, well, let's double down and try to, to work harder and do it ourselves. No, they, they developed a, a new system, a new way of caring for the church family. Now, this problem that we realize that we have, that we're not able to adequately care for people, is not a problem that exists because of COVID-19. This is a problem that has been there for some time and in the back of our minds we've known it's been a problem, but COVID-19 has cast a, a bright light upon it which cannot be ignored if we still want to call ourselves the body of Christ. We'll put a pin in that problem though and we'll come back to it in a future sermon as we talk about that aspect of relationally caring for one another. A second problem that arose in, or challenge that arose in the early church is that as they grew larger, uh, their focus shifted from from mission. It focused from from being an ever expanding church or an ever witnessing church to being a gathering simply in Jerusalem. They, they were growing in Jerusalem and, and suddenly no longer did they see their need to go beyond the walls of Jerusalem, but, but they began to just look at how do we take care of and how do we jo- enjoy the church in Jerusalem. Acts of the Apostles, page 105. Success had attended the ministry of the word in that place and there was danger that the disciples would linger there too long, unmindful of the Savior's commission to go to all the world. Forgetting that strength to resist evil is best gained by aggressive service, they began to think that they had no work so important as that of shielding the church in Jerusalem from the attacks of the enemy. Instead of educating the new converts to carry the gospel to those who had not heard it, they were in danger of taking a course that would lead all to be satisfied with what had been accomplished." So, what happened? Here they are. The, the church is growing, the church is expanding, and, and they love it so much, their, their whole focus becomes that church. They're no longer teaching people that, that our mission is to go out, but rather their whole focus is, is we, we just need to protect what we have. We need to protect what we're already doing. We need to protect our own gathering. They were in danger. Is written in the book, Acts of the Apostles, of all becoming satisfied with what had been accomplished. So in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, we read this. And there arose on that day, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So, so this giant church that had grown up in Jerusalem is now scattered, and all that's really left in 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 Jerusalem is just the 12, the the apostles, to almost start over and start fresh there again. God allowed persecution to rise against the early Christian church in order to scatter them. There was a problem developing because of their growth. And God allowed the church to be scattered because they were taking a course that would lead all of them to become satisfied with what had been accomplished. In the last five plus months, I realized that, that over the last almost six years in many ways that, that I have shepherded this church into a place where all of us can be satisfied with what's been accomplished. We, we talk about the, the tide gain that we've had and it's, it's been wonderful and it's been great and I know that the conference is grateful and I see it as a, as a God's blessing. We talk about the attendance growth and we talk about the baptismal growth, and we praise God for these things. We talk about the His teams, and we, we praise God for these things. But, but it could become easy to see this as, you know what? We can become satisfied with what has been accomplished. God has done many things for us in the last five, almost six years. And He's done even more through this church over the last 30 plus years. But I believe the Lord gave us, not just as Spencer, but, but all over this nation and this world, God gave us the grace of being scattered. Now, I don't believe God caused the COVID pandemic, but, but God has given us the grace of learning through trials and the grace of being scattered. I believe this time of scattering is a blessing and something our church needed. Maybe even just myself that I needed to 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 look at things differently. When the church was scattered in the first century, they really got it right. Acts chapter eight and verse four. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They're scattered, that's their response. Let's figure out ways to be greater witnesses during this scattering. But I don't know that we have gotten it as right as they have. We got scattered, and a lot of us, including me initially, immediately began looking for ways to get back to Jerusalem, to get back to gathered, to get back to normal. I've had a number of people quote to me Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, which tells us not to give up the habit of meeting together. But, folk, what I hope to show you over the course of this sermon series is that. We weren't fulfilling the spirit of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 when we were gathering March 7 or or in the weeks prior to March 7. Not truly. The early church addressed this problem of being satisfied by scattering and preaching, not by trying to figure out how to get back to what was before. Then finally, a third challenge that I see that rose up in the church as they grew. As more people joined and even as this church was now spreading out all over Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of then, at that time, the known world. They became churches, plural. And the apostles realized that they couldn't oversee everyone. And so the office of elder was established. We see this in Acts chapter 14, and, and I'll begin in, in verse 10 to give context. In fact, I'll turn there in my Bible. Acts chapter 14, and I'll start in verse 10 for context. Oh, excuse me, sorry, wrong, wrong uh, verse. But the Jews from Antioch, but the Jews from Antioch and Iconium, and having Sorry, Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 23. And the Jews from Antioch and Iconium, having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. This is the apostle Paul. And they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. This is Acts chapter 14 and verse 20 now. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. On the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium. And to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23. And when they had appointed, listen to this, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Elders were established in every church. They had a challenge. The apostles couldn't oversee all the churches. They had to go on their way. They had to, to, to continue to spread the word. And so what did they do? They established elders. And what was the purpose of these elders? 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. So I exhort the elders among you as, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I'm going to break down this text in a future sermon as well. But quickly, I wanna say that to be an elder was not about having a title or being asked to do prayer once in a while or sitting on a board or being a part of a committee. Elders were to shepherd people, to to be relationally engaged with people. When I read Acts, I see a thread that, that wove through each challenge that they faced. Caring for the members. Becoming satisfied with what had been. Needing spiritual oversight in all the communities of faith. With with each challenge or with each problem that they face, they didn't double down on what they were doing. They changed to meet the need. They didn't say, How do we get back to what we've been doing before? But rather they recognized: here's a challenge, let's change to meet the need. COVID has forced myself and our team to look at some of these challenges and look at our church in the full light of day and to acknowledge what we already knew in many ways but did not want to fully address and to acknowledge that we share these same issues, we share these same challenges that the early church was facing as well. but we maybe haven't been as willing to make the necessary changes as they were. I maybe have not been willing to make the necessary changes as as much as they were. Maybe we are still scattered because myself and some of our team and maybe some of you, we still needed to learn some things to break our dependence on what was to recognize it. That to be a people prepared for the second coming of Jesus we're going to have to start approaching things in a different way. So I've been praying about this and talking about this with our team and, and, and really here in some ways is my vision for when we come back and regather and, and hopefully even before that. I want us to be a church seven days a week and that on the seventh day, the Sabbath, that that day is not the sum of what it means to be the Seventh-day Adventist Church, not the sum of what it means to be the Spencerville Seventh-day Adventist Church, but rather it is a celebration of being Jesus' body the other six days of the week. All week long we're the church and on the seventh day we come and we celebrate Jesus Christ and who He is and what He has done for us. We're, we're strengthened by the, by the music and the message, but, but it's just a strengthening for us to go out and to continue being the church. My vision is that no longer will the church be considered what we do for one or maybe two hours a week, but that those one or two hours will simply be, again, the cherry on the top of the other 166 or 167 hours of the week. Here's something kind of radical. I I hope that we will become a church with no committees. I'm not talking about getting rid of the church board or the church finance committee. Don't worry, I'm not talking about those things. I I recognize that those are practical checks and balances that are needed within our community of faith. But I'd love to have a church where there is no evangelism committee because evangelism is happening through small gatherings of people within the church just naturally. I'd love to be a community of faith where there is no community service team or community services committee because members in conjunction with other members in small gatherings are going out and doing community service on their own. A church where we don't have men's ministries or or women's ministries, not because these things are in and of themselves bad, but, but men's ministries and women's ministries exist because we have to intentionally plan things to care for members because we're not naturally caring for them on our own. I'd love to have a place where where, where single women and single men and and married women and married men and young women and young men and old men and old women and and widows and widowers and, and divorcees are all cared for within the context of smaller groups of community rather than us having to plan events to care for these people. I would love to have a church where we don't need a prayer team of intercessors because everybody is connected to somebody else and is interceding for them daily. I would love to have a church where not one person not one person falls through the cracks unless they do so intentionally, unless they choose to do so intentionally. There are those who have told me, Pastor, I don't like the His teams because I wish I could just slip into church and out of church without anyone talking to me. Well, if they want to intentionally do that, but, but for the most part, I'd love to have a church where no one can slip in or out without being cared for or looked after. I love to have a church that, that actually lives out the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. And by doing so, it, it, we also begin to develop everybody's gifts, that we really believe in the principle that, that the body suffers unless every single person is utilizing their gifts. And by doing this, this type of church would do a great job of putting me out of a job, Because who needs a settled pastor in a perfectly healthy church when all of the body and all of the members are working as they should? So how do I foresee us achieving this vision? It is going to take a lot of prayer, a lot of grace between each other, and a lot of patience. And I believe also that it will take a little counsel us receiving a little counsel that was given over a hundred years ago. This is from the book Testimonies for the Church, Volume 7. And it states this, The formation of small companies as a basis of Christian effort has been presented to me by one who cannot err. In other words, this came directly from God. If there is a large number in the church, let the members be formed into small companies to work not only for the church members, but for unbelievers. Let them keep their bond of union unbroken, pressing together in love and unity, encouraging one another to advance, each gaining courage and strength from the assistance of the others. Let them reveal Christ-like forbearance and patience, speaking no hasty words, using the talent of speech to build one another up in the most holy faith. Let them labor in Christ-like love for those outside the fold, forgetting self in their endeavor to help others. Ellen White referred to it as small companies. You can call it small groups or community groups or cell groups or, you know, even healthy Sabbath school classes. I would even say that one of our ministries that pops into my head, Keeping Stitches, is a small group. Ellen White said it was presented to her by one who cannot err. That means by God himself that he presented this as, as as a method that would work. And she says that the the message came from God that in large churches, large churches, and by the way, let me pause there and say this. Um, In 1902, when she wrote this, when she received this vision, the average church size was 32 people. So a large church would have been 100, 120 Well, not even that, probably 75 or 100 people would have been a large church. We are a church with 2,000 members. But in large churches, it should be the method of caring for one another and caring for our world. Next week in our Back to the Future series, I'm going to preach a message entitled Constantine Messed Up More Than the Sabbath. And I hope you'll join me. Constantine Messed Up More Than the Sabbath. And in future series, or in future sermons, I'm going to invite you to consider being a host or a facilitator of a group, to to being a member within a group, and we'll talk more about that in the future, but I want you to begin praying about that even now. But But I hope you will join us for this series as I begin to unpack why and how I believe growing smaller, even as we remain a large church, will help us to truly be a people prepared for the second coming of Jesus. So, who is this series for? If you have sensed we are a church, or if you pause right now and honestly assess it and recognize that we are a church that mainly exists for one event on one day a week, then this series is for you. If you have ever felt lost or disconnected in church, if someone you know has felt lost or disconnected, in church, any church, but particularly I'm thinking in our church, then this sermon series is for you. If you know that there are people, maybe it is you right now, that, that are hurting, that are, that are lonely, that are, that are going through some sort of struggle, and, and you wonder if anyone cares, maybe you're wondering if anyone even knows about what you are going through, then this sermon series is for you. If you have a desire to see us as a church live out the teaching of the priesthood of all believers and, and the utilization of everybody's spiritual gifts, then this sermon series is for you. Hey, if you, and I know there are some of you out there, feel like the pastors seem to drive all the ministry and have way too much power, then this sermon series is for you. If you're an elder or a deacon being and you feel like being in that role should mean something more than sitting on committees or setting up chairs or collecting offering, then this sermon series is for you. Y'all, COVID has forced us to face some of our shortcomings. It's forced me to face some of my shortcomings and some of the shortcomings of the way that, that we've been shepherding this church. But I am not fearful about the future even though I have some disappointment in the past because I know several things. I know first of all that Jesus loves me and I know that Jesus loves you very much. He loves you so much that that he came to this earth and he dwelt among us and he went to a cross and he died on that cross so that we could have eternal life and, and his body was pierced for our transgressions, for our sins, for our mistakes but, but then he raised this thing up and he's called it the body of Christ. His, his physical body was pierced and now he, rose, he raised this thing up called the body of Christ, which is the church. And just as he loves me as an individual and just as he loves you as an individual, he loves his church, the body of Christ, what he calls the bride of Christ. And so even though We've had challenges in the past. And even though we, we recognize we have some of those challenges of, of not being relationally ready in the way that we care for one another, of, of being too satisfied with what has come before and, and too desirous to get back to what has been in the past. And, and, and that maybe in our offices and in the way we function in our structure, we have not truly honored the biblical principles of, the diaconate or elders or, or pastors or evangelists, whatever it may be. Even though we have some of these challenges, because Jesus loves us, because He died for us, I know that He is going to be working on our behalf. And so here is my request to you this week, that you will begin praying in preparation for next week's sermon. And that you will pray this prayer with me. God, please, please, Give us a clearer picture of how we can be a people made ready, prepared for our Lord and His second coming. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you so much for your love for me, for your love for those that are watching right now, for your love for the church. We are imperfect and and we struggle. We're imperfect as individuals, but we're also imperfect as a church. And Lord, help us to be willing to have that same thread run through us that ran through the early church. That as they, they faced a challenge, they were willing to adapt to meet that challenge. They didn't double down on what had been, but they said, you know what? We want to be more like Jesus, more like the body of Christ should be. Lord, may that same thread run through us. Convict us, speak to our hearts as, as we begin this Sermon series on talking about what it means to, to get smaller even as we remain a large church. Help us to know what role we have in that. Convict our hearts, Jesus, I pray. And be with us in your name. Amen.